Hello and welcome to A Day Of, a podcast about Biffy Clyro. My name is Simon Dowling. A few things happened in 2006-7-ish that shook up the status quo for us weirder Biffy fans. The first thing, Biffy ended their relationship with Beggar's Banquet and signed to 14th Floor Records, a subsidiary of Warner. Not inherently a bad thing, major label signing was to be expected for a band that deserved it as much as Biffy did and put as much work in as they did. The only issue was that 14th Floor meant their label mates were Ray LaMontagne, Damien Rice and Wombats. The, the Wombats? Whichever. It was a sign to some of us that we were on the cusp of hearing an album that was going to be a bit of a departure from the hints that we'd heard in the live shows leading up to the 2005 Christmas shows, and then the ever-mysterious fourth night where they aired a load of new material. From that night, by the way, ten songs they played that were new, six of which did make it onto Puzzle, three made it to B-sides, and then one of them made it... well, we'll get to that. A second thing was them leaving behind Chris Sheldon to work with Garth Richardson, but this was an obvious choice. He was chosen by Biffy for their work with uh, Rage Against the Machine and Curb Dog. He'd also worked with the incredible Kitty. And then the final thing was just before the album dropped, they were announced as the support act for Block Party. They were all slides into the mainstream and away from the clutches of the adoring, obsessive and frankly bunny-boiling fans. It's a good thing that the album proved us all wrong, isn't it, really? It was recorded in the Warehouse Studio in Vancouver and the Farm Studios in Gibson, and was then mixed in New York by Andy Wallace. Now, Andy Wallace had mixed Jeff Buckley's Grace and Rain and Blood by Slayer. Simon credits him with giving Puzzle its sparkle. James described the recording as difficult, but that all recordings are difficult. Simon had a lot of bother with guitars... Ben drank beer with ice in it because it was warm and flat, but they all had their socks knocked off from the early demos. Puzzle came out on the 14th of June 2007. I remember my uni mate Ben lending me the money to get the deluxe edition that came with a DVD and an extra song. A departure, in inverted commas, from the beggars era, Puzzle contains more accessible songwriting. I bring it up a lot, but to revisit that 80%-20% analogy I used for Black and Sky and Vertigo, Infinity Land was only 20% my recovery injection and only one word comes to mind, whereas Puzzle is 80% radio-friendly bangers. As stated on the Making of Puzzle short film on the special edition that Ben kindly allowed me to get, the less proggy attitude came from them allowing the grooves to breathe more and putting more of a focus on the lyrics, which I think definitely shows... The songs are less fragmented and disjointed and sectional. Puzzle also has artwork by Storm Thorgerson. He did Pink Floyd covers, man. I can only imagine how it must have felt having someone like Storm Thorgerson work on your album. They describe it as a dream come true, and Simon even refers to him as Stormo, which is really cute. They worked really closely with Storm, letting him into the emotional space that the band were in, allowing him to basically create artwork that better represented the feel of the album. He obviously works on subsequent albums as well, so the relationship clearly worked. The rise in their career following Puzzle was slow, but it was clearly visible. It wasn't quite the jump in headline status we got following like Only Revolutions and Opposites, 
but for example, Biffy supported Rolling Stones in Europe within weeks of the album's release. They played about 40 shows in North America in 2007, and toured almost relentlessly both headlining marginally bigger venues, but also supporting bands in even bigger ones. They played Madison Square Garden with Queens of the Stone Age. Yes, it was in a small room within Madison Square Garden, but still. Puzzle is an album that deals head-on with the sad loss of Simon's mother. She had died around Infinity Land, but the lack of downtime between Vertigo and that album means that the impact is really heard in the songwriting here, and it's evident from just the title of the first song that this album is dealing with grief. I first heard Living Is A Problem, the album opener, on March 13th, 2007, as Zane Lowe's hottest record in the world. This was the first time Mon the Biff was said, as mentioned in the 57 episode. I was sat in my uni kitchen with a few of the people I shared it with, and it blew me away. That opening, when aired in full on the radio, is fucking incredible. A choir and strings, not new things to Biffy Clyro, but used here to such a higher level. Graham Revel was at the helm of the choir and the Seattle Symphony Orchestra. He's primarily a film composer, he'd scored Tank Girl, Idle Hands, Pitch Black, Titan AE, and the resounding masterpiece Goal. He also worked with Biffy's now label mates Wombats, or The Wombats. The arrangements for the strings and choir, however, were actually written by the band, as evidenced by the demo that's included on Missing Pieces, the B-side album. So the song. If you can tap in time with living as a problem and get it right 100% of the time, then you are frankly a witch and should be tried as one. To those of us who thought that puzzle was going to be a less angular album across the board due to the associations with 14th Floor, living as a problem is a big, fat, confusing fuck you. Down-tuned to drop C, which is now a standard for Biffy, but then a bit of a C change, like only a few songs have been down-tuned as I've mentioned, and they'd all been irregular songs, I guess, like Got Wrong not live staples like Living as a Problem. The guitar throughout the intro just plays the same note, with the odd little flourish as the guitar's bass and strings stab in arrhythmically. 11 times, 11 times, a 2-1-1, 6 times, before some single stabs, and then we get the 11-11-2-1-1-6 again, until a crescendo takes us to the choir. We get Simon singing over just the guitar and the choir, and then the second line brings us a surge of energy. The bass and drums smash in, as well as the thick-sounding guitar. The bass adds these little inflections. I mean, the production on this is astounding. Our pre-chorus is just this little pull-off riff and huge guitar stabs before our chorus. The guitar in the chorus itself is playing a fairly simple set of power chords. The drums are driving and the bass too, but we get this lush string section joining in eventually. And then the guitar switches to some nice picking and the strings pick up the weight. We go straight into our second verse. I feel that a different stage of Biffy's career would have added a little weird section here, but Puzzle is certainly straighter down the line. We get a little pulled off riff again and it's joined by some cinematic sweeps on the strings. Second chorus is the same as the first, but when we get to our picked section, Simon vocals are joined by the choir. We then get a little reprise of the introduction, this time crescendoing into the chorus with some insane screaming filling out the back of the vocals. Now we have it all, the strings, the choir, and all three boys singing, it is bliss. Lyrically, like I mentioned earlier, this song is a fairly on-the-nose reflection of the grief Simon was feeling. The opening is a bit like a conversation. One person asking, is it good to lie here swimming in memories, responded to with, I fear God because everything dies. 
dismissing their concern with, I've had enough of your consolation. We get a little diptych of nothing to eat but fears in the backseat, with fears being replaced by fingers continuing down the path of the manic surreal imagery Simon likes to input into his lyrics. We get heavenly imagery, bathed in white light with halos in your eyes. I just saw the film Saint Maud, by the way, last night. It really creeped me out, and this line, when writing and re-listening to it, really reminded me of that film. It's fantastic. You should check it out if you're into horror. The entire song is really summed up in the chorus. Don't want to waste no more time. Time's what we don't have. Everywhere I look, someone dies. Wonder when it's my turn. That's it right there. Grief making us question our own mortality, particularly when someone dies young or unexpectedly. This is an understandable emotional response. The second verse is much of the same, where the imagery of a time machine, I think, is less about going back and spending more time with someone, but locking yourself away and letting time pass until feelings go away, like Fry trapped in that cryogenic freezer at the start of Futurama. I first saw Living as a Problem live at the aforementioned Beetlejuice night. Those airings, pre-puzzle and frankly pre-arena shows, were a different and more visceral experience. There was no strings and no choir and no second guitarist. With stabs on the guitar replacing the strings much like he still does now, the choir bits being performed by James and Ben like on the demo. A really good example of this is the 2008 Glastonbury set on YouTube. I've not yet mentioned the music video as well, it features a scruffy looking band playing in some sort of catacombs or sewer, the sort of place you'd see Ethan Hunt meet his team in a Mission Impossible film. It's a fairly straightforward video, the band are bathed in light, from behind playing in silhouette. Later in the video though, Simon is topless and singing with the mic in his hand and no guitar. It's not a mode we ever really see him in outside of Marmaduke Duke, so it is quite jarring to see it here. What an album opener. One of the finest side one track ones ever, as High Fidelity would have us label it. The success of that airplay on Zane Lowe is what made Living as a Problem the third single from the album. It replaced the conversation is as the scheduled single. A really wise decision career-wise, but I'd love to see an alternative universe where the conversation is thundered out on the radio and is played at every live show. But yes, their hand was wrung by the immense support following that airing on Zane Lowe, so they were kind of forced into releasing it as a single. We'll get into another forced single later on the album, but what an opener. Puzzle pops. Thank you for listening to A Day Of. My name's Simon Dowling. You can follow on Twitter at A Day Of Podcast and you can email adayoffpodcast at gmail.com and please leave reviews on iTunes or wherever if you fancy it. You can also send in voice notes at anchor.fm slash adayof and you can also find links there to the podcast on all the different platforms. Again, thank you for listening.